welcome to Little Detours with Regina Brett, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. Yvonne Pointer is one of the strongest people I know. She lived that nightmare every parent fears and yet let it transform her into a powerhouse for others. Her oldest daughter, Gloria, was just 14 the last day Yvonne saw her. Gloria went to junior high school one day to receive her perfect attendance award. She never came home. Gloria had been abducted on the way to school, raped and beaten to death. For 29 years, Yvonne never knew who killed her daughter. Ever since that day in 1984, Yvonne Pointer worked tirelessly to help every parent who lost a child to violence. She threw herself into being the hug every parent needed, the voice every family needed, the loudspeaker the community needed to combat violence all over Cleveland. Then one day in 2013, the police called. They had found the man who killed Gloria. Yvonne Pointer is a community activist, author, humanitarian, philanthropist, and founder of Positive Plus, a self-help group for women. She also hosts the Hope Haven, a nightly Facebook Live broadcast Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. Her motto is one pointer, one passion, one purpose. Yvonne, thanks so much for joining us to talk about finding purpose from the pain. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really, really appreciate being here. Well, you know, I was a journalist for 33 years and spent, my goodness, 17 of them in Cleveland, and your voice was always out there. I just respect you so much for, for never giving up and never saying, I've had enough, I can't do this anymore. Well, you know, it's interesting when you keep saying the word voice. I remember when Gloria was murdered. I spent a lot of time looking for someone who would speak for me, who would speak for victims. And I would write letters and make phone calls and nobody never responded. I remember sending a letter one time to Mr. T on the 18th and I wanted him, I really did. I thought if Mr. T came to Cleveland and said, I pity the fool to kill Gloria, that somebody would pay attention. But Mr. T response was an autographed picture. I didn't want his picture. I wanted his voice. So what I found over the years, Regina, that I was looking for myself, just didn't realize that, that my voice was the voice that I was looking for. That is so powerful, Yvonne. Let's start with the kind of the detour in your life was giving birth to Glory. You were 17 when you got pregnant. Yeah, I was a straight A student back in the day with college on my mind and education. But I wanted to be liked and accepted. Isn't that interesting how the detour came from trying to be accepted and liked? And the people who I wanted to like me are the ones that caused the detour. So I ended up getting pregnant. And back then, you didn't go to school pregnant. You had to leave. So there was all of my dreams and hopes out the window. But as a result, I did eventually go back and get my high school diploma at the age of 24. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Good for you. So you were a straight A student. You dropped out as a teen mother. You gave birth to Gloria in 1970. How did you pick the name Gloria? You know what? It was so interesting. We picked it out of a hat. We put all these names. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't have any profound thing, but that's how we did it. We just picked the name out of a hat. But even at that uh, young age to have her, she was such a blessing because 
I felt that I was getting a second opportunity in life and I was going to put in her everything that I didn't get to do and get, get to accomplish. So I, I was focused on her and guiding her, which is why when what happened happened, it was disappointing because I had spent all that time trying to make sure she avoided the pitfalls in life. Well, I also know I had a child at 21 and was an unwed mother and single mom for 18 years. And you develop this different kind of bond when you're the mom and you have a child and it's just the two of you. Yes. Your daughter's like your partner too. She was, she was more of the mother, the friend. We grew up together and I understand perfectly what you're saying. We grew up together. And when I think back over our lives, I can see that, that how we, we leaned on each other for survival. She was very protective of me. I will never forget one day we were on the porch and it was somebody walking down the street and they were swearing, saying these bad words. And she stood up. She said, don't you see my mother sitting here? Don't you say those words in front of my mother? I'm like, girl, sit down. (laughs) Wow. Now I know where she got it from you, the powerhouse voice. Yeah. Yvonne, tell us about the last day you spent with her. You had no idea this would be your last day with her. It was December of 1984. Do you remember that day? The time Absolutely. It's like forever etched in my spirit. What I remember more about that day is the days leading up to it. I just started passing out. I was in school at the time and I was having, it was like my nervous system was breaking down and I left and I thought, well, I'll go to the doctor and I went on the way. It was close to Christmas and I wanted to get her something. So I went to the mall and then when I got there at the mall, I just passed out. And so they picked me up, took me to the doctor. I got to the doctor and I passed out again. So that was a Monday. So she died on a Thursday. So every day I just kept passing out. And uh, the night before she died, I had a dream that morning, actually. And in the dream, I saw blood everywhere and I had to call the police. And I woke up and I called my mother. I said, I had the strangest dream. I dreamed that I saw blood and I had to call the police. And that was about seven, eight o'clock and 11 o'clock when she didn't make it to school. And the first thing they said was call the police. The dream came back to me. So I remember that it was, it was almost like a premonition that something is not right. I just had no idea of knowing that what was going to happen. So that morning, she got up for school early. She was going to get a perfect attendance award at Harry E. Davis Junior High. And the yes. school's just a few blocks from home, right? Yes. They, back then, kids walked to neighborhood schools. There was no, well, I don't know if it was busing or not. I just know she walked to the school, which was about five minutes, maybe 10 out of the way. And she was very excited about getting the award. She was very excited about life, very excited about being on the basketball team. And so the way that it happened, because she never missed school, was never late, never absent, when they called her name to come on the stage to get the award and she didn't come, well, it was alarming. So the principal called me to see where she was. And I said, well, she's at school. What do you mean? And that's when they knew right away something was wrong. So then you get a knock on the door later? Yes. We called and said she wasn't there. And then the school sent out police. 
And maybe within a few hours, the police were at my door and they just said to me, sit down. And I was like, sit down for what? And they kept insisting that I sit down. And I remember hearing the words, we found a body. That's all I remember hearing before I seemed to crumble down on the floor. But then almost as if having some type of out-of-body experience, I started thinking, why are you embarrassing yourself? on this floor. They didn't say the body was Gloria. So I apologetically jumped up and said, oh, please, I'm sorry, forgive me. And when they said it was Gloria, they didn't say it like that. They just said they think it's Gloria. I went back out again. And so um, it's almost like you just never forget it, even though it's been quite a few years. So you had this horrible moment with the police and then for 29 years they did not know who killed your daughter it was well almost three decades it's interesting i say that this cost regina half of my life so i'm almost telling how old i am but i remember that she was so severely beaten in the assault that it took them about three days to get her body ready for viewing up until then, I still didn't believe it. Even though she wasn't coming home, I just still didn't believe it. So when I finally got a chance to go and see her laying in the casket, I said to her, I'll find out what happened. It was almost like a promise, but I didn't know it was going to take almost 30 years searching for that person. And that's exactly what happened. My every almost waking moment was surrounded with the question, who done it? So everybody, if you will, becomes the perpetrator. You know, you you go to a restaurant and you go to a movie, and in your mind, this is the killer. It's almost tormenting the not knowing, right? Because you don't know. It could be the person sitting next to you. You don't know. It's obvious though that he knew me because I was very visible. I was very vocal. You know, I was always out in the community, always in the prisons. So the person had to have known me, but he had the advantage because I didn't know who he was. So all that time went, and we're going to talk later about how you filled that time with your activism. But And then what happened was your sister, Sylvia, contacted a plain dealer reporter about, they had all these DNA cases from rape yeah. that they had not tested and had not yeah. matched. Well, at that time, there was a lot of homicides in the Cleveland committed by a gentleman named Anthony Sowell. And it was giving attention to DNA and rape kits. And so Rachel DeSalle at the Plain Dealer, who I love at that time, uh, was doing, she was almost like a pit bull. She she had her her teeth in it and she was (laughs) not going to let go. And my sister Sylvia said, well, why don't you ask her to see if they tested Gloria's kid? And I said, of course they tested. I'll talk to the attorney general. I'll talk to all these years with this. They have tested it. And she said, well, just ask Rachel one more time. We sent Rachel an email. She sent it. And within a few days, they had a hit. Come to find out, Regina, it was never uploaded. That is heartbreaking, and it's got to make you angry that how many women had been raped, and maybe some men too, that ever dealt with the DNA, and those people went on to hurt other people. 
Well, I think that it takes a voice, again, to stay very vigilant. Uh, they have a television show on now called The Genetics Detectives. And what they're doing, Regina, they're solving a lot of cases with DNA. And you wonder, why is it sitting on the shelf in the first place? Why is it boxed in a warehouse when you can really just pull it off? I don't know if it comes down to money or it's just somebody dropping the ball, but glorious case, there was a match as soon as Rachel made the phone call. So how did you feel to finally have a name connected to the person that took your dog? It's almost like you you are walking in, I don't want to say the twilight zone in an eerie way, but have you ever hoped for something for so long? And then you finally get it. And it's almost unbelievable because you believe that it would happen. But then when it did happen, it's like, wait, am I dreaming? Is this a reality? Uh, can I tell you how I found out sure. that the case was solved? I, I pray a lot and hopefully we'll talk about this. One morning, I never forget, I was kind of mad at God, if you will. And I asked him the outright question do you even care about what's happening? Because at this time, it wasn't even good. It was just so much going on. And I was almost being accusatory. Like, do you even care? And I went to my church that morning and I was crying so hard on the altar, just crying for people and conditions. And God gave me this scripture. And in this scripture, it said, I am going to set the captives free, just like that. And it went on to say some more. And I'm, that day when I left, I said, oh, my God, I had this amazing prayer this morning when God said, I'm going to set the captives free. And everybody that was standing still long enough, I told it to them. Well, I went about my day, and about 5 o'clock, I got the call to come to Metro Hospital that, indeed, Georgina DeJesu, Amanda Berry, and Michelle Knight had been set free. And so I couldn't believe it again, so I rushed over because of my work in the community. I I was able to go under the yellow tape, went right in. And Commander Ed Tamba said, uh, Ms. Pointer, we didn't know it was a third girl in there, Michelle Knight, in the house, and she has no family here. Would you sit with her? So they let me in the room, and here was this little bitty person, eyes darting back and forth. And so I'm sitting there. Now, the scripture that morning it said, I will set the captives free, and we will rejoice over them with singing, just like that. I didn't know what to do. What do I do here? So I said, God, what am I supposed to do? I'm holding this girl's hand. He said, sing. So I asked Michelle, what is your favorite song? And she said, lift every voice and sing. So she and I just start singing at the top of our voice. So much so to when you read in their book, they talk about this lady singing in the next room. Well, that was me. And so the FBI came in this. I asked Michelle, I said, can I do anything for you? She said, I'd like a piece of cheesecake. So when the FBI escorted me out, all I can think about was I need to get some cheesecake for her. Well, days passed and it turned into a week when Commander Tomba called me again. And he said, 
can you get here right away? Well, of course, I've been bugging everybody to get me back to Michelle. I said, yes, I'm on my way. Do I stop and get the cheesecake? He said, no, just come, just come. So when I got there, I walked in expecting to see Michelle, and all I saw was Tamba, and he said these words, sit down. I said, sit down for what? Where's Michelle? I was like, where's Michelle? I just want to get back to Michelle. And he said, this is not about Michelle. This is about you. I said, what about me? He said, we've made an arrest in your daughter's case. And again, I'm not expecting that. What do you mean? And he said, sit down. And they slid the picture across the table. And they said, do you know this person? I said, no, I'm, I don't know him. And then I wanted to know, are you sure? Because over the years, I've had some false excitement. And they said, it's him. And so they kept looking at me. And they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'm going to go back to work. They said, well, do you need somebody to sit with you? I said, no, I'm fine. And so... That's the way it happened, that prayer, challenging God. And then when he said that, I am going to set the captives free, not knowing about Michelle, not knowing about Amanda, but also that I needed to be set free. And that's how it happened. That is so powerful, Yvonne. Yvonne Pointer, so they found that it was Hernandez Warren, his DNA matched the evidence, and that uh, he had also knifed a 53-year-old woman, attacked a 71-year-old woman, raped a 20-year-old woman. He had served 17 years in prison. And he told officers he was high on drugs when he lured Gloria back to a stairwell on a building on East 105th. Now, was it hard for you to hear the actual details about what he did? It was. And at one point during the trial, the judge, Mattia, who I love, Dave Mattia, he stopped. And he said, I want the mother to leave the room. And I said, no, I can take it. I can take it. And so he said, no, escort the mother out. So a lot of the details, uh, especially when they showed the coroner's information and things like that, I didn't. But here, here's what I can say that was harmful for me or hurtful. Uh, they asked him during the interview, what did she say? And her last words were, she called for her mother. So when I think about George Floyd in that case now and how he was calling for his mother, that part touched me because I wasn't there to help her. But Hernandez Warren said that's the last thing she said. She called for her mother. So how how does your heart absorb all of this pain, Yvonne? That that. I mean, it hurts me, and I, I didn't even know, Gloria. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, I'm going to tell you something about what I didn't know then that I know now is that there there's a reason, there was a purpose, and we'll talk about the work in the 29 years. But what I found is that I don't want it to seem like I'm some superwoman because I'm not. There were nights with Gina when I just begged God to come and get me. I just could not 
phantom that you can live with that type of pain and, and agony and the not knowing and fear because I was so afraid that the killer was going to get me. I was afraid. So all of this was consuming. So all I can do was like the olive wood to get the oil. I was being pressed and crushed. Just cry out to, to God for help. And I can remember one night I could not take it anymore. And I cried so hard. I went downstairs to get some water and I could not make it back up the stairs. And I was just like, God, please come and get me. And I said, I don't have a reason to live. Help me. I just want out. And that's when God gave me this song, You Are My Reason for Living. Because he said to me on that night, when I kept saying, I don't have a reason to live, he said, then I will be your reason. And that's how the every day, even including today that I get up, the only reason that I still focus and function is because I just want to do the will of God. Otherwise, I call it a God-forsaken place. I'm like, otherwise, why would we want to stay in this God-forsaken place? So, Yvonne, thank you for sharing so deeply. I can't imagine the pain still. When you were in the courtroom, you had a chance to speak, and you quoted from Timothy, 2 Timothy, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Those are such powerful words describing you, that you you promised you'd find this person, and here you are facing them. And that your last words were, may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Yeah. And did you really mean that? Absolutely. Because I did fight a good fight. If you if you think about Muhammad Ali or smoking Joe Frazier, if you think about anybody that's in a ring for 29 years, Muhammad Ali, what is a fight? An hour? I don't know. But this fight was 29 years. And I did fight a good fight. And I wanted him to know that I finished the course. I fulfilled the promise. I never stopped looking for you. I never stopped searching you for you. I knew that it was going to happen. I just didn't know it was going to take this long. So that scripture was so on point. And another scripture that I used was Genesis 49, when I told him in the courtroom about Joseph. When his brothers finally came to him and he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So I was able to share with Mr. Warren some of the good that came out. What you did was evil. And let's acknowledge that. But here's what happened that is good. Maybe you didn't know about it. So, uh, yeah, I meant it. I did fight a good fight. Now, you also went to see him in prison. Is that true? Yes. Why did I requested there's a process through the state that we had to go back and forth because I wanted to have a more one-on-one with him, not a courtroom fiasco. I knew that he was going to say, I'm sorry. He said that in the courtroom. But what I needed his help was, and the reason I wanted to request a meeting so that we could better understand the mindset of people like him in this work to protect and keep children safe. We don't know what we're looking for. So I wanted to ask him, would he help me? Would he be a part of this mission, this ministry? And I said, this way, you would be remembered for more than just the person that murdered Gloria. You would be remembered as the person who helped Gloria's mother to prevent child abduction, to prevent homicides. 
And he cried and cried. He couldn't wrap his brain around it. Because to be honest with you, he still felt more sorry for himself because he doesn't want to die in prison. So we didn't get a conclusion on that day. But I was, he was crying so hard. I said, stop crying. And I just grabbed him by the hands and we prayed. Because what I wanted was information. I stopped crying. And so as we were praying, he was squeezing my fingers so hard. I thought my fingers were going to break. At one point, I opened my eyes because I'm like, oh, my God, he's holding on to me so hard. And then guess what else, Regina? After the prayer, he kept saying, I just want to die. I just want to die. And I said to him, I understand that feeling. And I told him about the night when I begged to die and God gave me a song. And I asked him, do you want to hear the song? And he said, yes. And I started singing it. You are my reason for living. Yeah. I said, I get, I get the feeling of not wanting to live. I do. And so when I finished singing the song, he was crying even harder. I said, I, I get it. But, but here's the, here's the thing. Sometimes my issue is not with people. It's with God who is a mystery and who I don't understand that the love that he has for us is all of us, including this person, whether I like it or not. It was very obvious that day that this love that God had was being extended towards him. And he was using me to do it. Now, just like a water faucet, I could have shut it off and said, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to do it. But then when you get your brain around this love that God has, he loves the worst of us. And all he needs is someone who will go, who will go for us. That's beautiful. Now, Gloria, you spent almost 30 years as an activist for people who've lost children to violence and, you know, trying to find the killer. Once he was revealed and you had this moment, did you feel kind of like, not a loss, but like a a shift in like, okay, now what do I do? Absolutely. You know, we have many lives, Richita, you know that. Like you've had a life of a journalist, you've had a life of this. And, And when we're so busy trying to stop one life from coming to an end, like life is over, we don't realize it's just turning to a new life. And here I was for 30 years, half of my entire life at that time, this is all I've been doing. So what do I do now? So since then, I've been developing the process of a new life. And I got to be honest, some days it feels empty because that life was so consuming. But you know what? It's almost like I'm in the stages of reaping the rewards of the seed sown. And I have at times a problem receiving the harvest. And so that's where my life is now. I'm receiving the rewards and I'm having to make the adjustments. That's beautiful to hear, especially because for 30 years, you gave so much of your life to others. You created the Midnight Basketball Program in Cleveland. You built schools in Africa. You were honored by presidents. You gave away scholarships. It would take an hour to name everything you did for everybody in that time. So all of that work was amazing. So now with what's left for the rest of your life, how do you take care of, of Yvonne? Uh, if somebody knows the answer, would they please inbox me? <laughs> uh, because 
you know what? My whole life, when God said that he would be my reason for living, I surrendered at that time to his perfect will. And all I knew was that my life was about making other people's lives better, never factoring in that I would be a part of the equation. So I'm making adjustments. But I got to tell you, I have lived to see the spirit flow through me and do miraculous things. And so a part of me still wants to hold on to that. Like when you talked about the schools in Africa, that a boy in Ghana, Anthony Tay, can find a piece of paper in a village about glorious homicide in 2003 that now has transformed thousands of lives that we've built schools there and feeding kids and all of this because it's flowing through me to others. So I don't want to turn that off, but I do want to know how do I get a sip of it? (laughs) (laughs) for others i mean you have of all the people i've ever met you are somebody who's completely given your life away to others yeah and then sometimes to feel like to take some of it back almost feels selfish does that make sense and i i struggle with that because my life was has not been my own for so long but then what i'm learning to do is how to receive uh, I have a adopted son who, as a matter of fact, he was a friend of Gloria. So I've been like his surrogate mother all those years. And he always just wants to do something for me. Why? Because I, I stepped into that role of the mother he didn't have. So in one room, I have a screen that the birds took all the wire out. And so I want to open the window, but the screen has all these holes in it. He said, can I please just come and take the screen out and fix it? So I said, yes. So you see, I'm working on it. It was important to him to do that. That's beautiful, Yvonne. We just have a couple minutes left. I, I just have a couple of questions of just wondering in your life, like what did you do to start your day? How do you kind of get your day off to the right start? Good. I, I have what I call the first 24 where I get up and uh, I give God the first 24 minutes of my day. It's a whole story about how that started. But that's just being still, listening for guidance. I do a lot of reading. You'd be surprised how many books you can read if you just read for 24 minutes a day. I just finished your amazing book and one of them, that was such a blessing. So I just, sometimes I go in the closet and I pray, but I start my day with the first 24 minutes in prayer. That's beautiful. And then do you do anything at the end of the day to kind of wrap it up or close it? Yes, I have a journal. I have a day journal and I have a night journal. So the night journal is where I put everything in it that I want to talk about that day, prayer request. Uh, if anything happened that I felt that I needed when I pass away, if somebody wanted to know what was I thinking on that day, I write it down. So I say my prayers and I do my journal. What I've been doing lately, uh, Regina, I have prayers that I listen to. I put my headphones in. It's one prayer in particular called the Battle Ready Prayer. And it's about a 24-minute prayer. So I just listen to that. I try to center my mind so that uh, I can cast all the day cares away. It's beautiful. Well, we have run out of time. We could talk for hours. I want to thank you for joining us. Tell us the best way that people can connect with you through social media or website. Well, I have a Facebook page, uh, and then my website is www.evonpointer.com. 
gmail.com or my email is Yvonne Pointer at AOL.com. And, and email her how to best take care of herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, journaling and writing, you know, uh, so many books. Are, but the books that I've written have just really were thoughts on paper. And I'm surprised if people actually want to read them. Well, I have links on my website, reginabrett.com, to your information. And Yvonne, I want to close with your answer to this question. What is the best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have? The best thing that I do for myself is hold on to hope, find it in any way, form, or shape, whether it's in a book or it's a whatever, and then I try to apply that to my life. Hold on to hope. Hope is a powerful weapon. And so many people are giving up hope. But even if you have just the smallest seed, the size of a mustard seed, just hold on to hope, the possibilities that it can happen. You don't have to know how or see how. Just know that it can happen. I'm a witness. You sure are. And I want to thank you. That's my takeaway is never, ever, ever give up hope. And you never Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Regina. Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com. There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter so you never miss an opportunity to be inspired. For more episodes, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible. Thank you.